Welcome to NextWorks Innovation Talks. Let our podcast inspire you with inside stories and conversations about innovation. Welcome to NextWorks Innovation Talks. I'm your host, Laurence van Eeligen. I'm Communications Director at NextWorks, and today I'm very pleased to introduce one of our very own NextWorks influencers, keynote speakers and authors, Rick Vera. So, welcome, Rick. Hi. Glad to have you on the show. Glad to be here. Maybe you can start by telling us a bit about your professional and personal journey and how it got you where you are today. Wow, where to start? Okay, um, let me start with the personal. Um, I'm a father of two daughters. I'm the grandfather of two grandchildren. And if you ask me about my main motivation to do what I do, then it's the grandchildren. It is to make sure that at the end of my life, this sounds so heavy, at the end of my life, (laughs) I would be able to look back and say, I tried to do something to create a better world in some way or another. I tried to make a difference. So that's from my personal life. Mm -hmm. Professionally, I started as a teacher. I studied human science, philosophy, history, languages, started as a teacher and more or less by accident, I kind of stumbled into business life, Uh thought I would do that for a couple of months and then go back to teaching. And that couple of months became um, 25 years in business life. For some way or another, I was pretty good at it and I loved it. I've been running sales and marketing C-level functions for quite a long time. And in the last couple of years, About 10 years, I was responsible for running a company from A to Z. And um, I've always been in the carpet industry, which by definition is a red ocean market Mm -hmm. um, with loads of overcapacity worldwide. So I've never been interested in products or even services. I've always tried to make the difference uh, using technology and um, focusing on my customers. Not because I absolutely wanted to, but because I wanted to be the best and I wanted my companies to grow. I found out that the only one way to grow was using technology faster and better than my competition and to focus on my customers more and better and faster than my competition. To give you an idea, I implemented my first CRM system in 89 and then it was not even called CRM because I found out that the term CRM was only coined somewhere half the 90s and it was written in (laughs) MS-DOS, so prehistoric, pretty while a while ago. (laughs) In 2010, uh, we sold the last company I was involved in And then I started more or less doing what I do today. Mm -hmm. Um, Giving keynotes. Yeah, not even because I've always been using technology. I was asked by companies like IBM and Microsoft, okay, can you go on stage and uh, inspire other business leaders about how you were using technology Mm -hmm. and how you use technology to put your customers in the center of the universe? Uh, I'm talking 2010 and then extreme customer centricity was something pretty new. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I rolled into this business. Okay. Um, you talked about something I found very intriguing about the corporate industry and yeah. the, the, <laughs> the Red Ocean. Yeah. Um, can you maybe tell us a bit about what the corporate industry taught you about Red Oceans? Yeah, when I really became responsible for a whole organization, which was a family-run business, in a worldwide family-run business um, based in Belgium, you found out that you're entering a market that's taken. I was responsible for carpet tiles, 
and that's a 39 million market worldwide, a square meter market worldwide. That's it. And the market was taken. We were one of the small players in that market. And if I wanted to grow, I need to take share of competition in a red ocean. It was not about developing new products because what we called new products was just an old product in a new color. I don't mm-hmm. call that a new product no. or a new innovation. It was very difficult to come up with absolutely new products. Mm-hmm. Say so you had to look for another way to make a difference. And um, that was about customer centricity. What do you know about your customers? How do you gather data? How do you process data? And how do you activate those data? And I'm talking about you know, 10, 15 years ago when mm-hmm. that was still pretty you Mm -hmm. and how do you use technology to gather data and Mm -hmm. how do you make sure that your customer facing people are not just there to try to sell products but are also there out there to collect data Mm -hmm. and what do you do with data and that was pretty new but at the same time I've always been in love with things that are new and where you can make the difference and I found out that making a difference using technology and using data before big data and all that stuff Mm -hmm. became fashionable that was the way to make a difference okay so let's talk a bit more about data and about customers but maybe also about one of your passions which is the future of mobility and the blurring of industry yeah absolutely so can you talk about that when did this interest surface and how do you see the world evolving in that aspect Uh, i always say that the tense and we've just passed the decade of the tense with the tipping tense um, i think that we passed the tipping points in society And that we're now entering what I love to call the twilight twenties, the time in between the old normal and the new normal. We know that the business models as we know them are disappearing. They're not just disappearing from one day to another, but they're slowly uh, declining. And um, I'm pretty sure that the business models that we see for the moment are not the business models as we will see them in the thirties. We're in the in-between zone. Mm -hmm. And when I think about the thirties, I'm pretty sure that we will see completely new types of businesses and business models and segments. Mm-hmm. Um, the segments as we know them, uh, we call them industries. The industry lines are going to blur. And my favorite example is automotive. If you think about automotive, automotive is going to be changed dramatically by big data, artificial intelligence and robotization. Uh, think about autonomous cars. And um, we've been talking about an automobile for so many years, but it's never been auto. We've always needed a human driver. Mm-hmm. In the future, there will be no more human driver. And if you think about that, that has got a huge influence, not only on what we now call the automotive industry, but it will influence many other industries as well. Think about airliners. If I can take an autonomous car to drive from Brussels to Berlin, instead of going through the hassle of having to take a plane, and we all know that taking a plane and waiting in an airport, and I do that way too often, is tiring, is frustrating. If I would be able to take a self-driving car that stops uh, in front of my door, and I can watch a Netflix movie, listen to Spotify, work and sleep while being driven, by an autonomous car to Berlin, I know what I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. But if I think about it, that is pretty devastating for an airliner Mm -hmm. or that's pretty devastating for a hotel chain. Mm -hmm. And if I were an airliner and if I were a hotel chain, I would already look, instead of 
thinking, okay, I can be disrupted by this autonomous driving vehicles because it's no longer cars, it's vehicles. Instead of being disrupted by it, why don't I partner up with companies that can build something like that for me or together with me? And why would an airliner not go into autonomous vehicles? Or why would a hotel chain not go into autonomous vehicles? And I know that they are at least thinking about it, and a couple of them are taking the first steps. But that's blurring of industry lines. Mm -hmm. So you say that a couple of them are already thinking about this, but the most of them, do they realize this? They start to realize yeah. it for the moment. Okay. Um, and that's also what I think has been the tipping point of the tense. And it's just starting to realize. Mm -hmm. It's uh, Now the next step is, okay, what are we going to do about it? Mm -hmm. How are we going to put technology in the first place? Uh, because if you talk about blurring of industry lines, if all industry lines are going to disappear, every industry is going to compete with any other industry. Mm -hmm. And the competition will be about data. How do you collect data of your customers? Um, how do you process the data? And how do you activate the data? So it is technology first. It is being aware that you're going to end up in a huge red ocean. And a red ocean, if you're clever, is one huge blue ocean as well. How are you going to yeah, engage with your customers? And then it's about that hybrid ecosystems. You're not going to be able to do it alone. Mm -hmm. So I see that most companies are already looking for a new type of partners and you see already the first signs of that. Mm -hmm. And I can predict that in the 20s, we're going to see lots of strange cooperations between companies that we would have never dreamt that they would develop a business model together. Mm -hmm. Why would Netflix not work together with Apple or with Toyota and create something which are uh, a Netflix in an autonomous vehicle? Mm -hmm. And we're not going to talk about vehicles anymore or about entertainment. We're going to talk about completely new models and new segments and new names. Mm -hmm. And that's fascinating. You said that some companies are already investigating this type of mm -hmm. collaboration Can you give some examples of things that you are seeing right now? Oh, yeah. And um, there's a couple of very recent examples. And I was fascinated with what happens at the um, Customer Electronics Fair in Las Vegas, where you saw that Toyota said, okay, we're going to build a city. And if Toyota is going to be a, to build a city, it's called Woven City, mm -hmm. as kind of living lab to find out how people are going to interact with new technologies, autonomous uh, cars, um, new connectivity and all that stuff. Instead of trying to find out and making assumptions, what they do is they say, okay, let's, let's create a city like that. But if Toyota wants to create a city like that, it can't do it alone. They have to work together with all other types of companies, building companies, network companies, utility companies, name it they're going to have to work together. And so that is what they announced at the Customer Electronics Fair, mm -hmm. that a car builder is going to build cities mm -hmm. to find out what the function and functionality of a car and other stuff in a city is going to be in the future. Mm -hmm. At the same time, you saw that uh, Mercedes wanted to create a car that, kind of, that, that blends with human nature. At the same time, you saw that Uber is going to work together with Hyundai and um, with other companies to create flying mobility. 
say this is one week in one place, Las Vegas, at one fair, mm -hmm. and there's already three, four, five examples. Yeah. And yeah. I really love the, the woven city. Yeah, example, me too. I'm, I, I wish I could <laughs> a couple of, of months a year live there uh -huh. and, and find Just out uh -huh. what it does to me as well. Yeah. Because if you think of it, it's, it's really the ultimate customer centricity because we used to build cities around cars. Yeah. And they, what they are trying to do is build cities Around, around people, around people. And, and around and, people yeah, behavior and, and then exactly yeah. and find out what people are really looking for and what makes them tick mm -hmm. again it's um, and you know my three principle it's technology first mm -hmm. it's about creating a city I, I call it red ocean but red ocean for me is a picture to say it's not about products but because blue ocean strategy is very typical about new products for new markets it's inside out red ocean for me is outside in It is start with your customer and start with customer needs and customer frustrations and try to take away the customer needs or fulfill the customer needs and try to take away the customer frustrations. Mm -hmm. um, it's about engage your customers, that is, involve them, make them part of your solution. A woven city will never work if the citizens living in that city are not woven into how the city works and functions. Mm -hmm. And it's about ecosystems. And ecosystems is one cannot build it uh, alone. It is working together with all different type of companies and create different layers. It's about the sensor layer. It's about the network layer. It's about the platform layer. And in the end, it's about the application layer. Mm -hmm. So we talked a bit about smart cities now. Yeah. In a few months, you're going to lead our innovation tour in China on the topics of uh, urbanization, mobility, AI, IoT, and, yeah. and smart cities. So what do you expect to learn there? And which part do you look forward the most? Yeah. What I love about smart cities, um, first of all, let's talk about smart cities. Smart has got two meanings. The first meaning is smart in the meaning like it's good for people and planet. That's smart. But that's not new. Mm -hmm. What is new is the other definition of smart. That's the smart from smartphone. It is run by big data or by data and by computing power. And the fact that now cities can blend in both, that is, you take care of people and planet on one hand, and on the other hand, you're using data and computing power to enable yourself to do that, mm -hmm. opens up huge potential for a city to do that better than ever before. Because until now, we were trying to run that type of very complex processes by people mm -hmm. Excel files. And let's face it, people in Excel files <laughs> cannot handle something as complex as a city. Mm -hmm. Now, with data and computing power, this is fascinating. And you see this happening in quite a lot of cities. You don't have to travel to China to meet people that are involved in that or to see a couple of cities trying to struggle with this. Um, I don't call it challenges, I call it opportunities. Mm -hmm. I know that I did a couple of keynotes at Amsterdam. I know that city like Amsterdam is very involved in that. Rotterdam is very involved in that. Um, but what I love about going to China is that you see that China has embraced smart cities as from the mid of the tens and everything goes this fast in China mm -hmm. for a number of reasons. Let's face it, because of the political environment makes it easier to take fast and swift decisions. I'm not going to go into that any deeper, um, whether you like it or not, but that's the case. What you see is that because there are less barriers to actually create smart cities, 
what I love and what I know that we're going to see in China is we're going to do time travel. We're going to see how our European smart cities could look in five, ten, fifteen years, but it's already happening right there, right now, and that's so fascinating about it.、Mm-hmm. So I'm going to talk about the elephant in the room when we talk about China and、yeah. data and and、yeah. smart cities. A lot of people they know that it's going to be extremely convenient、yeah. um, if the smart cities will, will、yeah. work, but they are also very afraid of privacy issues, especially when we talk to about China. Yeah. What、It, What is your take on that? Now, my my take on that is that you have to look at the function functionality of a government. What is a government? A government needs to make sure that we try to come up with the best optimum. Between all your citizens and create the best life for all of your citizens. That's what the government needs to do. And in order to be able to do that, and that's never been different. You need data.、Mm-hmm. You need to know what people want, how people live, and you need to bring together all those data into that optimum. Yes, of course, there are privacy issues involved in that because if you Need data. You need data of people, and if you know the data of people, you know you're into privacy.、Um, but, but, but let's look at, for instance,、uh, trying to make a city run. What is making a city run? That is, you have you need sensors all over the city, and sensors are cameras, but sensors are also smartphones. Sensors are also a car. A car is a data collecting machine. So you need sensors all over, but then the next two layers are for me are way more interesting than the sensors. The next layer is the network layer. That is okay if you have sensors all over the place. Every sensor collects data, but without a network to collect all those data and to bring all those data together on then the next layer, which is the platform layer, there's nothing.、Mm-hmm. So the the next layer is the network layer, and then. The third level, the third layer, is the platform layer, and the platform layer is interesting part.、Mm-hmm. That is okay. You bring all those data together, and what do you do with the data, and how do you process the data? If、mm-hmm. you look at sensors, what we now call cameras, you don't need to recognize people. What most of those cameras do is recognize patterns.、Mm-hmm. They're not just looking at. Usual patterns. They're looking at when is a pattern breaking. When do we see a pattern that's not normal? And a pattern that's not normal, something is happening there.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, as a city, you can make sure that on the platform layer, you build in a couple of elements that make sure that there are no privacy issues.、Mm-hmm. And it's a matter of what do you do with the data、mm-hmm. on the platform level. And then the next level is what do citizens perceive? And that is the activation, the application layer.、Mm-hmm. What type of applications do you create on top of the platform?、Mm-hmm. What do you do with transport? What do you do with utilities? What do you do with privacy? What do you do with energy?、Mm-hmm. And that's the engagement layer. The engagement layer is okay. Do citizens feel comfortable with it or not?、Mm-hmm. But isn't it also depending on, of course, the government? Is it a democracy or is it not a democracy?、Yeah. That's, I think, that's the most important. Yeah, yeah. But what even the terminology democracy is going to change?、Mm-hmm. Because if you really talk about engaging your customers and、um, having sensors and having interactions with your customers, engage your customers, then you can create a democracy in a completely different way than you create than you organize a democracy right now.、Mm-hmm. And it's not okay. You listen to your citizens, and what you hear is what you're going to do. 
you bring it all together and you create the optimum once again. Let's talk a bit about collaborations again yeah. and smart cities <laughs> while we're at yeah. it. Um, so which which are your favorite collaborations between mobility and smart city plays and, and, and others? Of course, you talked about Woven City already, but yeah, are there it, other examples? Yeah, but what we found out, you know, two years ago, we had our first automotive and we, we still called it automotive tour at that time. And we went to San Francisco and uh, we went back one year later and even in that one year, and that was in San Francisco, we found out that in the first year, it was still all about automotive. People are into, were into autonomous driving, electrical powertrains, uh, battery, uh, all that stuff was important. The second year, we already found out that there were more and more companies that looked upon automotive from a higher perspective. Mm -hmm. Okay, we can't talk about the mobility of the future, and it was already mobility of the future and not just automotive, if we don't talk about the interaction with citizens and the interaction with governments and the interactions with city management. And that's fascinating to see that this one industry, and let's face it, mobility is very important in our daily life if we rearrange mobility that we have, a, we have the possibility to rearrange the structure and the organization of a complete city. And that's what I love about smart cities, is that you bring together all types of startups, new technology, you bring it all together into doing something good for people and planet and in citizens' life. Mm -hmm. What's the function functionality of an Uber if it's not interwoven with a city management? The, the first wave that we've seen of digitization, the wave of the internet, the wave of the, the social media, the wave of the appization of everything, uh, now the wave of big data and artificial intelligence, I think it'll all lead to the wave of well-being for people and taking care of people and planet. And mm -hmm. I think that smart cities are by definition, maybe more important than governments. Mm -hmm. I think that smart cities will play an all important role in that. Do you think they think enough about the planet? Aren't most of them still focusing the most on, on technology and, and how to, to make sure that cities run more efficiently? If you think about cities, and that's why I love to go to China, because when you talk about a city like Shanghai, you're talking about 20 million people. Mm -hmm. It's a country. It's a, it's a country. It's not even a small country. Mm -hmm. It's a country. It's almost double the size of Belgium. How do they organize it? Um, I remember when I was still in the industry, we had an office in Shanghai. And, and Shanghai at that time, and I'm talking 10 years ago, was a dirty old city. Mm -hmm. If you go there now, it's a modern, well-organized, clean city. Mm -hmm. It can be cleaner, it can be better organized, but you've already seen that they've taken this gigantic leap. And so... They have to think about well-being of people. How do you organize it so that everybody feels good? Because if you have 20 million people on this small surface, and if they don't feel good, that's, that's a ticking time bomb. So you have to make sure that everybody feels good in a city like that. But you also have to make sure that this is a healthy city to live in. Mm -hmm. And I think that if we all are into let's create a healthy city, by definition, you create a healthy planet. Uh, because, and that's not me, it's, it's uh, the United Nations and the World Economic Forum says that by 2040, 80 to 85% of Wales population is going to live in a city. And we're going to be with 10 billion people then. So 8 billion people are going to live in an urban environment. If you don't create a healthy citizen-centered environment by that time, 
yeah, that's not going to work. So by definition, if we make sure that cities are clean and cities are healthy, we're creating a better planet. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about cities some more. So how do you see cities evolving? Will they become bigger and converge maybe, evolve into, like you said, maybe mega Me cities? cities yeah. But Maybe will there be still as many roads? How do you think that no, cities there will evolve? Okay, first of all, and, and in my keynote, I, I talk about, okay, you, you do some predictions about the future. And one of the predictions I do about the future, and I don't know whether it's going to happen, it's more like, I hope it's going to happen. Yeah, we're going to create a world. I, I think that we might evolve to a world in which we, instead of United Nations, we have kind of united metropoles of this world that metropoles will become huge cities, will become more important than countries. And you already see that happening, that cities take different kind of measures versus sustainability and mobility than countries. Because maybe they're closer to customers, they're closer to the citizens, and they have more empowerment to make sure that within their smaller environment, they create the best environment for uh, the citizens. So... I think that we're going to evolve to a kind of united metropoles run by artificial intelligence instead of run by people. Mm -hmm. It will still be people that set out, okay, what is the political rules that we follow? How are we going to do that? How are we going to process all those data to make sure that we are on the right track to reach a target that we've decided I think that artificial intelligence will play a major role in that. Mm -hmm. um, in order to have artificial intelligence, you need those layers. You need the sensor layer, you need the network layer, you need the platform layer, mm -hmm. and you need to think about the applications. And you see that uh, happening on, on a larger scale, like cities like Shanghai and Shenzhen for the moment. But you also see that on a smaller scale. In Berlin, you have a number of smaller communities that try to run the community in a smart way. Mm -hmm. And there's startups thinking about that as well. One of my favorite uh, startups is a company that we often visit when we're in uh, San Francisco, a company named uh, Regent Villages. And Regent Villages is a kind of spin-off of Stanford University. And it's not a village, it's an artificial intelligence that can be used to run a city that's completely off the grid. Mm -hmm. A city in which your food supply, your water supply and your energy supply is completely independent of whoever. It's a city mm -hmm. itself, it's a village itself that runs it. Mm -hmm. And that's by definition a city that's run by artificial intelligence. And now to come back to um, mobility, no, there are not as many roads. I can even tell you in the concept of region villages, there's no what we now call cars in the city, uh, there will be vehicles that are allowed inside of the village, mm -hmm. but that will be limited and the village is green and the village is built around people and not around vehicles that bring people from A to B. Mm -hmm. How will these evolutions in, in transportation and environment change the behavior of citizens and of consumers, do you think? That's, that's a difficult one. Uh -huh. And I think that's one of the main reasons why a company like Toyota must have access to loads of research and loads of universities that can help them with that. And they say, okay, let's not jump to conclusions. Let's not start from assumptions, but let's try to find out. 
And if you want to find out how people are going to interact with these new mm. forms of mobility and living together, so let's create a living lab. Mm -hmm. And I'm pretty sure that when we go to China, when we go to visit cities uh, like Shanghai or Shenzhen, we know the Chinese mentality, they already have that type of living lab without mm -hmm. calling it a living lab. Mm -hmm. sure. They just do it. Uh -huh. <laughs> Japan is a different environment, so that Toyota has to announce that they're going to do it. And of course, it's also some commercial background for Toyota to mm -hmm. announce that. Mm -hmm. But it's the living labs. We're going to find out. It's not... Um, You know, in my book, I, call, I talk about the building of a cathedral. It's building a cathedral. Um, you know that you're building a cathedral and you start building. And then while you're building it, you discover new building techniques. And I think it's the same with smart cities. Mm -hmm. We're going to find out how people react with that. And then we're going to have to adjust our plans or adjust the technology. Mm -hmm. And even technology, um, I cannot predict what the iPhone of 2025 or 2030 is going to look like. Mm -hmm. So it's very difficult to predict how it's going to look like. I hope, and I'm pretty sure that it's going to be customer-centric. It's going to be citizen-centric. I think that if it's not citizen-centric, there's no chance it's ever going to work. Mm -hmm. So thanks. Um, maybe you can end our conversation with an invitation. So why should people join you in May on our Moving the World Tour China? I think as you think about smart cities and companies, how we need to run companies in the future, I think it's about the same as smart cities and it's how can your company blend into smart cities. If we really believe, and I believe that the world in 2030, 2035 will be a world of smart cities, then if as a company you want to be relevant for people, you need to blend in mm -hmm. and you need to understand what the smart city is all about. And then you need to decide what is my place, what is my position, uh, what is my function, functionality as a company in a smart city. Am I going to play a role in the first layer? Am I a sensor company? Am I a company that's into the network layer? Am I going to help a smart city to create the network? Am I a platform company? Or am I going to be part of that platform layer? Or am I one of the application companies? Am I going to create an application on top of that platform to help smart cities run a smart city? The smart city is just going to be the smart city, but it's a cooperation between the government of a smart city, the market, the companies and society. Mm -hmm. So if a company wants to know what the future is going to look like, And if a company wants to develop a business model for the future, I think that they need to know and understand what the smart city will look like. Mm -hmm. The only way to find out is time travel. And time travel is travel to China mm -hmm. because they're way ahead of us. They're creating a silver bullet in some way or another. Yeah. Okay. Brilliant. So that's it for today. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining the podcast. I had great fun interviewing you. Thank you. Yeah, and I hope uh, to see a couple of people um, on the time travel. <laughs> Thanks, Rick. Thank Bye. You. This was NextWorks Innovation Talks. Thank you so much for joining us and follow us on nextworks.com if you're hungry for more innovation news and events. <laughs>